Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. In a very special episode of Conversations, Oscar pays tribute to some of the former Wildcats who has left the Big Blue Nation way too early in life. Mike Phillips, Melvin Turpin, Ed Davender, Charles Hurt, and Brett Barrett. Alongside Oscar to pay tribute to these Wildcats, two teammates who were also roommates, Roger Harden and Kenny Walker. You've heard from Roger and Kenny in past episodes about their time at Kentucky, but for now, it's about their time with their teammates and one Wildcat who was part of a legendary team. We'll go back to a special time in Kentucky basketball when relationships were formed on and off the court, when players knew each other's families, and when the players knew the fans, and the fans knew that there was something unique about the Wildcats from the late 70s into the 80s. The names may be different on the back of the jerseys, but on the front, they all had the same name, Kentucky. And in this state, Kentucky also means family. Even though they are gone, they will always be a part of the family, and Oscar has two of the best to talk about the departed. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, Kenny Walker and Roger Harden. We're here today to celebrate the lives yeah. of mm-hmm. some guys. And y'all have times like this with those yep. guys. Brett Barrett, one of your teammates, passed away this past week at the tender age of 56 from a massive heart attack. Charles Hurt, 55 years old, passed away just two years ago. Eddie Davender, mm-hmm. 49 years old, passed away just a little over two years ago. Mike Phillips, just a tad before your last time, 59 years old, 2015. And the guy we all love doubly, Melvin Turpin, oh boy, yeah. 49 years old in 2010. Let's talk about those guys and, and, and the fun times that we had with them and that the fans had with them. Yeah, look forward Start to it. Start out, Kenny, <laughs> with uh, – let, let's let's start out with Brett. He's the most recent okay. one here. Live life to the fullest. The bear. You know, that's what we used to call him. Uh, and I'm quite sure Roger can attest to this. Uh, bear was always the life of the party. Loved to have a good time. Uh, obviously a tremendously talented ball player. Uh, I remember – and I think I was telling Roger this on the phone when uh, I talked to him the other day when we were both shocked and surprised about Brett passing away. Uh, th- my first summer on campus, you know, just graduated high school. I come in town early, and I'm working out with the team before they went to Japan. 
Roger and I couldn't travel with the team because we were incoming freshmen, but we came up to work out with the guys before uh, they took that trip. And I remember, you know, playing against, obviously, Bowie, you know, Turpin, Brett, these guys. And uh, I didn't know a whole lot about Brett before I signed. And I remember going in, talking to Leonard Hamilton, who recruited me, and said, who the hell is this Brett Barrett, man? He's kicking my butt, you know, every day because he's 6'9", he's big, he's strong, he was athletic. Obviously, he had been in the program, so he could, you know, push me around. And he was a tremendous summertime player. So he kind of got my attention, you know, really uh, fast. Uh, I think the unfortunate thing about Brett, though, in terms of playing time at UK, he was uh, there maybe at the wrong time. You had Bowie and Turpin, who he had to compete against before uh, I got there. And then after I got there, and then Winston Bennett, Richard Madison, some guys, uh, followed so he didn't quite get the playing time probably he would have if he would have went anywhere else but man he was a great guy to go against in, in practice he pushed us you know every day uh, I think he was a little underrated and underappreciated as a basketball player but despite that he lived life large you know I mean he went on to do some things in terms of financial advising being an agent uh, being an advisor, I guess, to the owners of the Denver Nuggets and teams uh, in the NFL, in um, Major League Soccer. Uh, he's uh, had an impressive career despite not being the person that he wanted to be on the basketball court. Your first introduction to him, Roger? Uh, man, Brett Barrett, uh, I'll talk more about, like, personal side. And uh, he was – he was always somebody I, I remember whenever you have incoming freshmen, uh, upperclassmen react different to freshmen. Some guys go out of their way to make sure you're feeling good, and other guys can't wait to get you over at alumni and beat you and, you know, get, get, get the pecking order established. But, but Bear was, uh, first of all, he was always well-read about the incoming freshmen. He was always reading around the lodge, right? I mean, you go in Barrett's room, he's probably reading something. <laughs> and he loved to read. He continued to follow. Uh, I might have followed uh, high school basketball, like who's up, who's down nationally, you know, who's supposed to be the, the best player, et cetera, et cetera. But once you get to college, a lot of it, you just lose interest. It's a whole other ball game, right? I don't, I've don't. i never heard of the next player of the year or whatever. But Barrett always kept <laughs> up with it. He was really – had a passion for that, and uh, he was good at it. He was great with names. He had a great memory. He was a straight-A student. I mean, he didn't have, one of those guys that didn't have to study and, 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 and get a 4-0, right? That's right. And, I mean, so so he was brilliant, went to law school, and uh, but but he was notorious uh, for taking the, 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 uh, the freshman um, down Rose Street uh, where all the sororities were <laughs> yep. uh, with his windows down. And he, he always had a nice car and he was always <laughs> had the polo and the shade and he'd have the, he would have the, the, the great, the, whatever music that was yep. popular of the moment blaring. And he'd have one of us freshmen run, riding shotgun with us. And he was pointing out where the sorority girls are and this is where <laughs> we want to try to meet them. And so he, he, he really did a lot of legwork for us young guys that I, that I appreciated. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. 
I tell you, my first interaction with him was. That's what I remember about Brett Barrett. That's the first memory of Brett Barrett, okay? And that was a good one. Well, yeah, that is. That's a really good one. I, I first came in contact with him in the summer of, of 79 uh, when he was going between his junior and senior year in high school. Yeah. And he wrote me a letter to Cat's Paws. He had subscribed to it. Yeah. And uh, said that he was going to come to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he was going to help recruit a great, great team. And they were going to win the national championship. And it's a five-page letter. And he talked about the other great players in high mm-hmm. school, like you mentioned there <laughs> earlier. And listen, and I keep reading it. It's handwritten like you'd expect from a high school junior athlete. I mean, yeah. his handwriting wasn't the greatest in the world, but you could, yeah. you could read it. Mm-hmm. It kept going on and on, and I took it, and I laid it down, and I thought, wow, what a weirdo. <laughs> and But I know of him. I yep. know they're recruiting him and everything. And then in late October, he calls Coach Ham and Jodine and says he's committing to Kentucky, but they don't put it out. And we travel up to Springfield. We were actually in Boston and went over to Springfield, played Duke in the Hall of Fame Classic, November 79. And he shows up the next day at the game with his dad, Charlie. <laughs> and Charlie was a character himself. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> uh, you both knew him. And, and he looks me up and comes over, and he's standing there with a Kentucky T-shirt on, Brett, and introduces himself to me. Mm-hmm. And he's starting out, I thought, I don't know if he's a player or not, but this kid's going to go somewhere. Yeah. I don't know where, <laughs> yeah. but he's going to. And then he started working that arena. Mm-hmm. Every person in there that had on any kind of a Kentucky shirt, he was walking up and shaking their hand and introducing them to it mm-hmm. and saying, if Sam don't lead you all to a title this year, I'll lead you one next year. Yeah. <laughs> and that was my first introduction yeah. to him. And then we got to be real good friends yeah. like we are. And that was a different era in the 80s where mm-hmm. the media wasn't hostile. Right. The players were on. I mean, you you guys knew everybody. Yeah, yeah. And you trusted everybody. Mm-hmm. You, know? you can't do that today. Well, no. one thing about Brett that you mentioned in that story, Kenny, and I'm sure Kenny can pick up on this too. But Brett was a natural. When you play basketball at Kentucky, uh, it it gives you an experience uh, in that uh, not only you know where you you have to play basketball and you you're, you want to win and the discipline that goes into all that, but the other side of it is, you know, you're you're at banquets, you're at, uh, uh, you know, th- things that people throw to you that you go do charity stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that, and so you you have to learn how to interact with the public mm-hmm. there in those certain circumstances because you are representing the University of Kentucky. Nobody nobody enjoyed doing it more. That's right. Than Brett Barrett, he mm-hmm. loved mm-hmm. the the. Uh, the paparazzi side, yeah. shall I say, of Kentucky mm-hmm. basketball in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, it, wow, it was a, it, as a guy that was going through it with him, I'm like, man, I like how he's doing that because he yeah. did it in class and he was very articulate well, yep. when he would get up to speak. Mm-hmm. He, you didn't want to speak after Bear. Oh, yeah. Bear was very good. Yeah, because he could tell, right. like, he, he was a great storyteller. Yes. yes, he was. And what I loved about him, I, I, I guess it's been probably four or five years since I last seen him, yeah. but – I always communicated with them on Facebook. And just for like the last couple of uh, days, people have kind of repost things that, (laughs) you know, he's been saying and doing that. I mean, he had a sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, that was just, 
incredible. Yeah. And his timing was great. Yeah. Like you said, he was yeah. very smart. Yeah. But he built, a, I think, a special relationship with the U.K. fans because he represented the big blue nation. He almost was like a voice. Obviously, he played, he played there. Yeah. And he gave the fans and people a lot of good inside track of you, what it like to be a UK ball player. Yeah. Both of you fit in that same mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like? It's been so long. The early inter squad scrimmages out in the state. Oh, that you guys talk a little bit about that. I wish they could still do that. Well, you they know, can, but, but they can't play exhibition games that rub and charge money. Well, if they do that. I, they, they almost could get better out of just taking it around the state. Well, we uh, you know, this about you know, our, our following because don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, let, let's uh, just let's just stay positive. We'll yeah. get into that to, to tell in because I do have a comment about yes, that. It's yes, yes, very relevant to the situation. Yeah. give it, give okay, it. Okay, yeah. well, you know, when you come here as a basketball player, what did I just get done talking about? Kenny was sitting over there shaking his head. You know, when you have to go out and you do a lot of the, uh, I tell you what, in the summer, okay, if you played at Kentucky basketball. First of all, you're going to get – what was that guy's name that would come over and, and talk to us about how to talk to the television and then uh, give a speech. They talked to us about speeches. Was that Dr. Like Cooper? That. Was, yes. I, I thought it was Cooper. Was I, I, Cooper. I thought it was Host Call, but, but I thought it was, it was Cooper. Well, a lot of them yeah. came over. Yeah. We, we, we yeah, they were really good. People, okay? Yeah. And, and, and they work they, with us. You know, told us that, you know, you're going to have this responsibility yeah. in the way that you care. Well, those are experiences that over a four-year period you go out and talk and stuff like that. Yeah. Those those give you a lot of skills that you could I've oh, yeah. throughout the rest of my life. Give right. you an advantage Absolutely. And, uh, in a business perspective and stuff like that. But what it does was it, what, 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 what Coach Hall was trying to do and some of those coaches back then were they were cementing and growing the bond between the basketball program and the way you do that is you get your players and you get your butt out there yeah. and you get with the people. And Make them visible. Them. And and that doesn't exist today. Yeah, and, and that's important, and that's oh. probably why we did go to all those because uh, that was an important thing. That was a value that was uh, the fan was valued. And not and just, I, I don't. What I'm saying is that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and not to say that our era was better. We just had more equity built up in the program and the fans, and when you have that type of longevity, you're able to build relationships, not just from player to players or coaches as a team, but I knew Roger's family. He knew my family. I mean, it, we all got yeah. to know Someone each other and all that. Dad, you but, knew about but, 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 I just but, went up to Troy McKinley's yeah. father. Yeah. There were several players that showed up for, yeah. for, for that funeral for, for Troy's. So, you know, you get to know their moms and yeah. dads. And it's how incredible. important was it? How much did it affect you guys later in life? The number of times you went out after after basketball season ended and spoke to high school banquets and speaking engagements throughout the state. It, well, I, go ahead. Kim. Well, it, it means a lot to me. I still do it to this day. You know, I mean, obviously I had a great career at, at UK, and so did Roger. You know, I think even if you didn't have a, a great career like we did maybe on the court, the experiences that you can – uh, have with your teammates, the fans, and the relationship that you can build, you can parlay that into a good life. There's not a place that I – and I travel from Pikeville to Paducah. There's not a place that I can't go. I mean, I'm 6'8". I get out of the car. I'm thinking it's been 30-some years, you know. 
Uh, every now and then, people will call me Sam Bowie and get me mixed up with Sam a little bit. But outside of that, people know who we are. Uh, they appreciated that time and era. And being that we're in the one-and-done era, I, I actually feel bad for the, the, the kids from this standpoint. I know that they're doing it for the money and just, just the way that it is now. But the experiences in terms of what they're missing and and having three or four years of college, especially at a place like Kentucky, they're missing out on a lot of good stuff. What was it like to travel with Brett on the road? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was he was uh, <clears throat> he, well he was you know he was always you know he was a pranker. <laughs> he was the main pranker on the team. He was always uh, really, to be honest with you. Uh, in some ways, it hurt him because I mean, you know, a lot of times we go in focused. When you when you're on the road in the <laughs> SEC and we're ready to roll, right? You probably shouldn't be pulling pranks, all right? Because I mean, you know, we're we're. Give me focused. an example. Uh, <laughs> come on, come on. I, 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 honestly, no, 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 nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Yeah. Just between. I I, I, I would have to think about him, but but anybody that played with him knew he was you know he was doing stuff. I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, 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 I remember one time we were, we didn't travel a whole lot, but, um, uh, through normal airports cause we chartered a lot, but I'm trying to remember there was one trip where we didn't. And, uh, I remember back in the, those days, uh, if you could get paged to go back to the, to the, uh, to ticket counter, you could be all the way down to your gate. I mean, my gosh, how has airports changed since then? Did we even have security? Back no, uh, no, 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 not really. You go yeah, back and yeah. like if you somebody was trying to reach you, you would have to go all the way back to the front and take a call at the ticket counter. And one time we had this real long corridor. I think we were going through Chicago or something. And Brett Barrett paged <laughs> Coach Joe Hall to go all the way back to the ticket <laughs> to make Coach Hall walk all the way back. I love it. And he came on, back, Kenny. and then there was nobody there. But Coach Hall <laughs> had to walk all the way back. You got to top that, I was Kenny. like, man, I, I don't know. What? I'm going to tell you something. That was like, man, you are putting us all in jeopardy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, and they were, they were, they were designed to be big. I mean, they weren't like little things, you know. I mean, they were like, I can't believe you're trying to Particularly do that. Particularly if it was Atlanta yeah. Hartsfield. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. Chicago. But, uh, yeah. He, yeah, he was always, he, Bear was, Brett Bear uh, just was, you know the way he carried himself, and 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 the conversations that you would have. I had a lot of wonderful conversations with Barrett, whether it be about politics or religion. Mm-hmm. You get to know people's politics, religion. You get to hear where they came from. Mm-hmm. You spend so many hours over four or five years, just you know, on buses, uh, sitting in the uh, you know in in the taping room. I mean, you just you talk. That's all. You really get to know each other. And it's it was uh, and it still is the one place in America where you can bring people from different backgrounds and you have unity and you, you it's it's a very uh, it's a very racial area but but it's a very it's a very uh, camaraderie mm-hmm. it's, it's a place where race still works well, it's yeah. the only place right now where race is still people come together under yep. one 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 cause yeah so. You know, it's, it was wonderful. I mean, <laughs> you know, I never saw, like, how do you do jerry curl? Like, I, the brothers would always, like, explain. <laughs> you don't do any curl today. How did that, you get that curl? Yeah. They talk about how do you yeah. feather your hair? Yeah. Why do you do this and all that? And we, 
we kind of get past all that. Yeah. You know so it, it was a great Laugh, experience. joke about it, have a good time. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the funniest uh, memories that I have of Brett was, uh, I guess it was, I think it was our sophomore year, uh, 1984 we, year we went to the Final Four. And we're finishing up, you know, a tough practice. And sometimes at the end of practice, you know, Coach Hall would do like, okay, you guys do the three-man weave, you know, or whatever. And, you know, Tom Heights, who I guess, you know, I guess he hadn't really practiced a whole lot. And, he, and at the end of practice, you know, Heights would go down and he'll dunk the ball at the end of the three-man weave. So – so, so Dickie and Brett kept geeking Tom up, like, come on, Skites, let's see what you can do. So Tom kept trying to take off further and further out, and then eventually he tried to take off from the foul line, and he got pinned on the rim. And after he got pinned on the rim, Brett Burb started cracking up, and it started calling him, instead of calling him Heights, he started calling him Skites, you know, <laughs> a combination of yeah. Sky and Heights, yeah. you know. you know. And we, <laughs> joke, we joked with Tom for the rest of the year. And he wasn't Heights anymore. Yeah. He was Skites. That's that's was that's if, was if his you name. Was there, you, were, you were looking for uh, <laughs> yeah. not trouble, but you were looking for you're going to be mischievous. Yeah. Yes, you go. You were yeah. looking for adventure. Yeah. If Brett were sitting here today, what would you all say to him? Well, uh, <laughs> for me, uh, I guess another, I guess funny but true story. Uh, one day we were in practice. It was Coach Hall's last year coaching at Kentucky. And uh, we're getting ready to go into the NCAA tournament. And we're having practice, and we're working on, I guess it was University of Washington, who we were going to play in the first game of the tournament. And we were kind of walking through some of their stuff. And I remember Brett Barrett, you know, to emulate that offense was supposed to go set like a pick on James Blackman, you know, just kind of dummy setting a pick on James Blackman. But Brett kind of went over in a live kind of situation, and luckily for James, he was sliding and he ducked, and Brett just did miss nailing him with an elbow, and Coach Hall saw it. And I've never seen Coach Hall this bad before. He goes, damn it, Barrett. What the hell are you trying to do to your own teammate? You won't hit anybody in the damn game. They they call you the bear. You're more like a pussycat. <laughs> and he kicked them out of practice. And I was like, you know, felt bad. But Brett came back. Obviously, he started in the tournament. But I remember Coach Hall going off on me. So, hey, but my thing is, well, why were you trying to nail your own teammate? You know? <laughs> And incidentally, uh, most of us that played for Coach Hall, you know, have a, you know, we, we all got kicked out at one time or another. Yeah. Kicked out of Coach Hall's practice yeah. was, for me, it became, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was like an experience. But so when he tells that about Bear, I mean that, you know, if you hear somebody got kicked out of practice today, it's kind of a scandal. But. Back then, yeah, you would get your ass thrown out of practice. It's better than running wilds. You might, yeah. it might be just. Oh uh, yeah, you might get in your head. It might be because you didn't do anything wrong. He's just going to test you. And yeah, go out and see what you do. Right. So you don't even know why you. He he might pick a reason why he did, but he he was doing other things as well. Mm -hmm. There were lots of talk after the last game in the SCC tournament, the year you're talking about. 
um, that everybody wasn't really together. What do you remember most about that? We probably wasn't uh, at the SEC tournament. We lost the first game to Florida. Uh, probably shouldn't have been in the tournament. I remember watching Selection Sunday. Uh, I forgot where we were, but we were all watching it. And uh, we stopped watching it because we was nervous that we weren't getting in. And I think we went downstairs and started shooting pool or something. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody came in and said, we made it as a 12 seed. And we got in. And I think we had to call uh, Brett and Troy. I think they had taken off on spring break. That was going to be my question. And we had to call them. They had to call in. They didn't want to come back. They didn't want to come back. And we made the tournament. And we went on a hell of a run. If we didn't upset Washington uh, and, and UNLV, and then yeah. against St. John's, yeah. uh, you got a poke. Got, in the got eye. a got a poke in the eye, but we were in that game up until that point. Uh, the Final Four was in Lexington that year. That was the year that Villanova upset Georgetown in the championship game, and we felt like, man, if we could just get back to Lexington, mm-hmm. and uh, I was happy for Joe Hall. Obviously, we would love the ride to go on for another game or two. But that was his last year, and that was the least pressure I think I ever seen him face as a coach at UK. He handled it great. September 16, 2016. You lost a teammate, 55 years old, Mr. Charles Atlas. Mm. Charles Hurt. Boy, Charlie, Charlie. Charlie was like a big brother. Uh, I guess for me, because when I came in as a freshman, it was basically him, Minifield, uh, Horde, Hurt, and uh, Sam Bowie that basically took me under their wings. You know, yeah, I we guess that's going to break into that, right? Y- yeah, we signed to go to Kentucky with all that there. Yeah, and we was going to go try to tame that. Yeah, and uh, I remember Joe I'm B. Hall. Y- yeah, well, no, Joe B. Hall was he was honest with me. I guess it was a little verse, reverse psychology. He told me, "Look, you all these schools that recruit, recruiting you, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee." He said, "You go and be a star right away." He said, "But we got all of these dudes waiting on you." He said, "I'll be honest with you, uh, you probably won't start, but you know if you come in and play against these guys, you'll get better." And uh, you know, if you can compete, we'll find some playing time. So I, I remember yeah. as a freshman when I came in. Okay, uh, I was like, well, I you know I got Dickie Bill and Dirk Menefield, and I mean, yep. we'd be talking, and we'd be freshmen. We were roommates, sitting down there. Of course, Todd May was there too, and we still yeah. talking about other guys on the team. And I was like, I'm just glad I don't have to deal with Charlie Hurt. Yeah, damn. Yeah, I mean, look at him. And yeah. at that time, I didn't know Charlie was a very Charlie had a very kind side to him. Yeah. You know, he if he his disposition once you met him, he was a real sweet guy. Yeah. He was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh he didn't he didn't try to uh, intimidate people. He didn't use his strength right. and all of that against any of his teammates. Thank mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. You were lu- hey, yeah, I was lucky. Hey, because yeah. Walk, how much you weigh when you came in? About one ninety, one ninety five. One sixty. You got Dirk Minifield, <laughs> yeah. Ken and yeah. Nicky Bill. Yeah. Bill. It was hard. Coming in against those guys were always yeah. weak, right? But yeah. they, they if they uh, but Charlie Hurt was just 
but when he played, yeah. he, he was a warrior. I mean, he he. he I think I bad. think Coach Hall wanted wanted him to be yes. more tough, but yes. that just wasn't his person. He could do it at times. I remember obviously yeah. the fight with Charles Barkley. I think yes. from my freshman year. So yeah. whenever he had to. Yeah be that guy, you know, but for the most part, that just wasn't yeah. him. He, Like Roger said, he was a sweetheart, man. And here's the thing that I liked about him. I thought I was a hot shot freshman, but, boy, you come in as a freshman and all the girls on campus oh my God. love Charles Hurt. Charles Every, Hurt. I, they all wanted to go out with Charles Hurt, and oh you're like, God. hey, well, what about me? Yeah. You know, I'm the <laughs> freshman of the year. You know, I'm pretty good. And they love Charles Hurt. Yeah. He was the well, guy. It, it, yeah, he was yeah. the guy. Yeah, he was the guy. You know, and, and, and your girlfriend. Yeah. Like, you know, you'll get a girlfriend, and they would – sometimes they would all wait together out yeah. in the back. And, and uh, of course, Charlie was a great dresser. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Very and sharp. You, you did not – if you were interested in talking to girls – you know, you didn't really want to go out with Charlie no. because she is. Yeah, you you going home empty-handed. <laughs> what was yeah. was Charlie the enforcer on defense in the paint? Well, uh, probably. Said we only played with Charlie that one year, senior year. But uh, obviously, he was a senior. He started. I mean, he. I guess him and Melvin both shot tremendous from the field. I mean, Charles didn't miss. I think he was a career. 59% uh, percent field goal shooter. Uh, this is what I really like about Charles. I think Charles could have been probably more productive than he was. Charles was willing to, to take a back seat really to, to let Melvin Turpin, to let myself, to let, to let uh, Derek Horde and Sam Bowie. He just became more of a role player. But if he really wanted to, uh, he was an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. Jump, big, strong. Yeah rebounds you knew he was going to play within uh his limitation uh probably the most disciplined ball player that i've ever played with and 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 uh back back then the mindset of players was a whole lot different oscar because i mean it's like the righteous thing to do when you come to college now is to do the best thing for you and your future that that's just preached all the time you and your future. And I, I, I listen, who can disagree with that, okay? But the culture back then was what do you got to give to the University right. of Kentucky? Right. It, it's bigger than you. Right. It's going to take care of you. And, That's right. And, 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 and nobody epitomized the winning attitude like uh, Charlie Hurd had because he gave up a lot of individual stuff that he was capable of so that other guys could, could shine and do good. Yeah. He, he realized Derek Hort is a better scorer than me, and he didn't shoot the ball unless he was open. He was, right. he was a high percentage. That's right. And a lot of people don't <clears throat> understand this. I was talking to Kenny, but, uh, you know, when he left the University of Kentucky and he went to the military, I mean, he was in special ops over in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charlie Hurt was a – he thrived in that military discipline where it's the youth, mm -hmm. core, mm -hmm. God, everything like that. He, you could tell he just went right to that. If you if you in special ops in Saudi Arabia, yeah. that's about as good – that's about <laughs> as dangerous or as exciting yeah. as it gets, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, that did not surprise me. And and uh, but but always kind. He he. You know, when you come in, you find out how guys want to treat you. Like I said, they 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 either go out of the way to make you feel a yeah. part of the team, or they. They're, they're, they've got they're waiting on you, you know? yeah. and either way you ultimately become teammates. But Charlie yeah. Hurt 
was always kind to everybody. Yeah. yeah, I know for me personally, you know, coming in as a hot shot freshman, McDonald's All-American, I'm trying to take this guy's job. Yeah. But, you know, he still took me on on this wing and, you know, just, just, just. I, no, I'm not for sure if I, I don't, I'm not for sure if I, I, I even tried. You couldn't. Okay. No, I don't think I tried. Because I saw you dunk. On, oh, I mean, almost everybody. No, I but saw I, you dunk. It, well, let me put it this yeah. way. If you were help side on Kenny Walker, that's yeah. the worst place. Th- that's right. You're going to get dunked on. But I don't think I ever tried it. But, but, <laughs> and but, probably but, smart move. Because he, he could get up. Yeah. And he yeah. had that strength. Yeah. He was quick. He was quick. That's right. And 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 so a lot mm-hmm. of guys that were successful with you could, were were trying to get quick and get yeah. before you could get that one little. Yeah, if I get the one hop, yeah, it it's over. over. Yeah, right. But Charlie, much. Charlie always play was always on the best offensive basketball yeah. player every time we we played. We we put Charlie Hurd on him. Speaking mm-hmm. of that, the incident we all recall in <laughs> Auburn, Alabama, mm-hmm. was it Joe using the absolute premier reverse psychology? On Charles and practice that week, he was preaching that if you beat Auburn at Auburn, you're gonna to have to get physical. Yeah, I remember that. And the elbow in the gut. Yeah, well, I remember the week leading up to that game. Uh, Melvin, God rest his soul, he was always intimidated by Charles Barkley. And I mean, you and I talked about this a couple years ago, Roger. I don't know if you remember this, mm-hmm. but uh, that whole week. Joe V, of course, those practices, who's going to guard Charles? And he's letting – we're in there beating the crap out of each other. We had a good days of practice. Well, we go down to Auburn, have a really good practice the night before. So, next day we're getting ready to play the game. We're warming up. And Melvin goes up to uh, Coach Hamilton and it says, uh, Coach, uh, I ain't feeling too good. You know, uh, I don't know if I can go. And uh, Leonard was like, hey, well, you got to go tell Coach Hall. You know what I mean? And Melvin was scared to go tell Coach Hall. So he let, finally- let me interrupt you there to, to add in what happened the day before. Uh-huh. You know, when you go into Auburn for a Saturday game, you fly in on Friday afternoon, you go over and have a practice Friday night. Uh-huh. And then players and or the coaches made available to uh-huh. the home media. Uh-huh. Well, this particular night, <laughs> guy by the name of Philip Marshall, who worked for the Montgomery Advertising Auburn, and I was on the trip there. Told him, he comes up to me and he said, hey, I need to interview somebody. Who should I interview? I said, well, any of them's good there. And he said, well, what about, what about Turpin? Though? Oh, boy. And I said, yeah, he's pretty good. I said, now, listen, he's very simple. If you ask him a question, he'll give you a very simple answer. You know, uh-huh. But he's a nice kid. That's right. So he goes on and starts talking to Melvin. He said, Melvin said, y'all did a pretty good job containing Charles up in Lexington. What do you have to do to contain him tomorrow? Uh-huh. And Melvin looked up, God rest his soul, and just as earnest as he could be, Charles who? <laughs> uh-huh. And he said, Charles Barkley. Oh, oh. And then he went on and gave his answer. Uh-huh. So the next morning in the, in the uh, heart of Auburn Motel, uh-huh. where y'all stayed, that little restaurant up on the second floor that was only open mm-hmm. for team meals. Mm-hmm. And our buddy Sam Bowie, who never saw a newspaper rack that he could pick up, <laughs> yeah. grabs a paper, yes. opens it up, and on the sports he's page. He's looking at the stock. Uh, uh, Charles. <laughs> no, he's looking at the sports. He said, Charles who, question mark, dash, Turpin. Oh, boy. And he takes it over to Melvin and said, Melvin, you're in trouble tonight. When Barkley sees this, yeah. you're in real trouble. 
Now, pick now, it back up. So, Melvin goes to Leonard and tells Leonard, I don't think I'm feeling too good. And, and Leonard's like, hell, you got to go tell Coach Hall, man. So, finally, Melvin goes over and tells Coach, hey, I'm not feeling too good. So, mm-hmm. Coach said, well, okay, Melvin, if you're not feeling too good, I guess mm-hmm. we, won't, we won't start you. Melvin didn't start the game. Mm-hmm. And within the first couple of minutes in that ball game, uh, I, I guess we were about maybe three minutes in, Charles Barkley and Hurt, they really, they kind of got tangled up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and Ch- Charles Hurt was boxing them out, but Barkley flopped and went flying mm-hmm. over in the front row and the cameras mm-hmm. and the referee no call. So he gets up, looked at referee, no call, come on and play. So he just gets up and runs and hits Charles Hurt in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And they brawl a little bit, and then they both get kicked out of the mm-hmm. game. All of a sudden, Melvin Turpin is feeling pretty good, and he goes, yeah. hey, Coach, I feel pretty good. <laughs> I yeah. think I can go in and play <laughs> right now and went in the game and got 24 points off the bench after Barkley got kicked. Simple, well-played yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, Charles, let Charles Hurt do the dirty work right. and get kicked out of the game. So that's what Big Mel did, the Big Dipper. I, can I say something yeah. I, real quick before I forget? Uh, for the record, nobody on our team other than Melvin was scared of Charles Barkley, okay? We were out there to prove, yeah, yeah. we've seen you play. Yeah. Ain't nobody else. You gonna, you go, Yeah, you're going to try it, but yeah. nobody on our team was afraid. Well, we tell no. that about Melvin. Okay? Yeah. He had that one yeah. player we'd get the heebie-jeebie. Yeah. But for the record, I want no, anybody that listens to this, it's a yeah. fan to know. Nobody on our team was scared of Charles Barkley. Especially okay? Winston. And I don't you, know how many times Winston elbowed him in the University face. Kentucky, and you, nobody's pushing us around. We don't care who you are. Yeah. Okay, go on. What do you both remember most about Charles looking back to these years? And his last few months and years was spent working back with the high school athletic yeah. there in Shelby County. I thought well, that was so Charles Hurtish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was uh, – um, Charles was uh, quiet. He was a, he had a quiet integrity, and I'm gonna tell you what came from his mom and dad. He mm-hmm. did not have the greatest mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Hurt were great people. My gosh, they were the nicest people after the games. And <clears throat> when he got done with the military, uh, he he went there. But 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 he was like in ter- in inside. He was real quiet. He was real kind. He had this like super god uh, exterior. But also, the, I, I think it's for the sake of history, him and Minifield were our leaders, mm-hmm. okay? But they never bent to each other. Mm-hmm. I remember early in my freshman year, I was getting taped, and uh, Charles and Dirk had some words with each other in the uh, where we were getting taped, and it got ugly. And I knew real quick when they squared off with each other, I was like, they're, they're, who is going to break this fight up? Yeah. There's nobody – Nobody yeah. on this team, yeah. if our whole team was there, I'm not sure we'd be able to break this up. Mm-hmm. But they respected each other, and they, they were our team leaders, but neither of them bent each other. Really That's right. They were total other. opposite. Okay. You, you yeah. Know, many, and I'm sure that Minifield and uh, yeah. they grew up in high school reading about each other and everything mm-hmm. else, and I'm sure that uh, Charles was like, hey, I, I'm going to love playing with him, but no. Nah. You ain't no, uh uh-uh. And I'm sure many was the same way. Well, they grew up different. Dirk had a much more tough, you know, upbringing. And yeah, and 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 Charles was the baby. He had two older sisters. 
And like you said, like after the game, he had like the nicest, you know, family. I mean, always pleasant, always fun to talk yeah. to the biggest UK fans. Not in just Where Charles, but the whole team. They were there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They were just great. And uh, I, I agree with uh, Roger. I mean, it was a quiet, you know, confidence about him. I, I wish that. I could have experienced that for another year or two because obviously as when we came in as freshmen, we're just trying to Mm -hmm. learn the rope, you know. So, you know, a guy like Charles, though, set a perfect example of how to act on and off the court. Yes. Yeah. Just six months before Charles passed away, we lost Eddie Davender. Just 49 years old. He's coming home from Keeneland, had a massive heart attack. Yeah. Still can't get over any of these, and I guess what makes Ed's a little bit more tough for me. Um, boy, I remember when he came in as a fresh, freshman from Brooklyn, New York, and uh, before he came down, Coach Ham came to me and said, uh, Kenny, I want you to uh, um, take Ed under your wings. You know, he's coming down here from Brooklyn, New York, and I want you to take care of him. And the first thing that I said was, Man, I grew up in Roberta, Georgia. How in the hell am I going to take care of somebody coming down from Brooklyn, New York? I mean, I might learn something from him. Uh, but he thought I would be the perfect guy to be a mentor for Ed. And uh, for his first two years of college, humble. you know, we, 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 I, I was a mentor. And uh, I loved Ed. He had a lot of New York in him, obviously, when he came here. Uh, but I think coming to uh, Kentucky, he could easily went to St. John's or Syracuse and stayed in that New York area. But I think the great thing for Ed was getting out of New York and having a family, a true family that he could be a part of, a team and something special that he could be a part of. And um, I feel bad for Ed sometimes because his career, uh, his first couple of years, he's playing with a great point guard like, you know, Roger Harden, you know, for a couple of years, James Blackman. Uh, but he came in as a freshman. He held his own. And then after that, he had to play with Rex, you know, for a couple of years. I mean, any other time in any, any other area, go look at his numbers. He's top in assists. He's way up there in scoring. Uh, steals. Uh, great defensive player. Uh, I mean, Eddie D could literally do it all. I mean, love playing uh, with them. And I think Roger would tell you they had a lot of battles in practice. Yeah. Ed is not backing down yeah. from from anybody. No. And uh, I love the mentality that he brought to the uh, court night in and night out. But you mentioned, I guess, he's the youngest one out of all of these guys, I guess, you know, to pass away, I guess, uh, maybe other than Mel- Melvin. Exactly same age. Okay. Uh, it's just really tough, like I said, because being his roommate, being that, he was like a little brother uh, to me. I knew he looked up to me. I tried to be a positive role model uh, for him in a lot of ways. And the couple of years that I was with him, it was he, he was great. You know, I just think that he needed someone like myself, good, strong coaches like Jovi Hall and Eddie Sutton to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow. And they did a great job of it. Mm-hmm. Well... Eddie D, I mean, the pleasure was all mine to be a teammate. But, uh, you know, when you play with guys, I mean, Eddie, Eddie D was one of the better players to ever come out of Brooklyn. And, of course, you know, anytime, you know, it, you stay 
four years. I mean, which everybody did back then when 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 they sign a point guard, they could be saying something about you too, like hey, you ain't working out hard, or you know when they like when we would sign forwards behind Kenny Walker or whatever. I mean, you, they're all, they're kind of making a statement. I mean, you know, we need a little help here, or need a little help there, right? But every other year, we would have a great top point point guard. I mean, they played James at the point guard right after me. But so you get to know. So we're competitors. So you can tell a lot about a guy how they get along with each other. You can just look at the guys that he's competing against. How do they treat each other? And Kenny, I mean, I mean, uh, Eddie was from New York, and when he came, he was. Eddie was I, just the, by the way. I mean, all the brothers on our team, and I don't <laughs> need to keep saying this, okay? But from a kid from Valparaiso, India, they taught me a lot about how to dress. Mm. Okay, I mean, they had fashion, yeah. and everybody they all had their different fashion. I'm not trying to break it up here, but yeah. I'm talking here with Kitty. Yeah, no, but they right. really, really taught us white boys how to dress. <laughs> Back then, we had to wear a suit to the games, mm-hmm. and how you how you dressed was very big, and, and of course. So they, they, I was always educated by the African-American community. Ever since mm-hmm. I was playing basketball, they've been great to me. And I owe my career to the African-American community. So, uh, uh, but Eddie, Eddie was always impeccably dressed. And you remember this walk, he always had toothpick. And mm-hmm. I, me and him had not really talked. We kind of talked to each other. And he was room with Kenny. I went in the room to see Kenny. And he was sitting there. He had his toothpick. I said, hey, man, why do you always got your toothpick? And he goes, man, why do you always ask so many questions? <laughs> <laughs> I said because I said because I said, that. I said is that like a New York City thing? And mm-hmm. Kenny started laughing. I I even Kenny, I don't know if Kenny remembers the and Walker started laughing, but I'm like, no, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be the dude that yeah. asked you yeah. first why well, you put the toothpick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm because but then from there that cracked the ice for me. Yeah. To get to know, and I was like, hey, I'm not I'm not, I love it. I'm yeah. like, you've got you are impeccable here. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm admiring. So is that where Dusty Baker got it? Yeah. Well maybe. I tell you, but those guys, they were competitive. I mean, I, I, I tell you, say this to Roger all the time. Boy, I thought I had it rough coming in, but he came in as a freshman. He had to go against Dickie Bill and Dirk, and then it was James and Ed yeah. right after that. And the, yeah. I always told him, the one thing I respected about him, I think Ed would say the same thing if he was here today, yeah. Roger never backed down. And that's what Joe Hall loved. He was the ultimate leader because I didn't care if he – you know, he was slow, but his guy wasn't going to get past him because he it guts, you know, and pride and everything. That's when I hear that, well, Quaddy Green can't play defense, so these guys can play uh, can't play. No, it's effort and heart, and that guy gave it. And I think that's what Eddie D really respected yeah, Eddie, about Eddie going against was, you. Like if when we uh, particularly uh, – I mean, we always play great defense. Coach Hall played great man-to-man defense. I mean, you can go back where our defensive effort was like, like when we played Louisville the first game our sophomore year, right? Mm-hmm. We, our defense was. I mean, we oh, shut God. them down. Oh. We shut them down. Uh, it was our man-to-man hardcore defense. However, Eddie didn't play on the team, but when w- he played for Coach Sutton, mm. I mean, no, he did. He, he he wasn't on that team, but when we went to Coach Sutton, we really were in the passing lanes. Oh and God! And Davender was oh. just. Wicked nasty yes. on the ball. Yeah. You couldn't shake Ed Davender like when we would do drills. I could. I he never picked me. Okay, but you couldn't. You were yeah. shake. No, he would always great defensive he, principle. He, here's where he would get you. He would bait you to throw yeah. a pass. Yeah, he would 
act like he's not in the passing and game. Then he, and yeah. he got so many interceptions. Yeah. He was so savvy defensively. And he picked all that up on the playground. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I, I, you're right. Just great the, instinct. Like, great you know instinct. That came, that came yeah. from Brooklyn. You're right. That's some Brooklyn stuff yeah. right there, right? Well, I remember the great point guards that the SEC had at that time. Andrew Moulton, Maxwell, oh. you know, uh, uh, Tony Con- yeah, Tony White, oh, uh, Terry Connor, yeah. you know, from Alabama, yeah. and 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 Derek, Derek, Der- Der- well, yeah, and he walked out. Ed, I mean, Eddie D. Yeah. That's who you got Ed- every night, man. And he yeah. and he would lock those guys down, and they were hard, man. They were hard guys. Back stuff. then, when, when yeah. all of the all of the top players would come and, and keeping and talking about Eddie was, you got to know Eddie because. You got to reveal everybody's character because over four years, you see how Eddie is when he comes in and he's struggling, right? Mm-hmm. And and but he, I mean, I'm not saying that he ever really struggled, but you saw his growth, and then he ended his career as the point guard and the yeah. leader. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you just see how people mature. But it was more difficult to break into a basketball team because you're playing against a a guy who's probably a senior or a junior or a sophomore, and they were all the best in their class. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're playing against what? I mean, what four year, four years back from now? Who was our point guard? I don't know who it was. See, we can't even tell at the University of Kentucky. Yeah. Let's say, let's say De'Aaron Fox was here this year for three more years. How'd you like to be the point guard yeah. coming in out of high school? Even though you're supposed to be the best, yeah. And you playing against the De'Aaron Fox? Yeah. Who's been here going on his fourth year. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what the world looked like back then. Yeah, that's so right. A lot of guys who came out ballyhooed, mm-hmm. you would get broke early in your oh. career, and you might not come back. That's right. Got to be okay, tough, mental. You went into there. That was that was a whole different man's world. That was a whole different environment than what is going on in college basketball today. You know, mm-hmm. but Eddie was brilliant in that environment. I mean, mm-hmm. he he excelled. He was he never he didn't bow to nobody, did he? No, I never mm-hmm. saw Eddie. <clears throat> no, he he looked. I, I mean, him and him and Coach Hall uh, had some confrontations. I recall yes. him getting kicked yes. out of practice. Yes. you know, a couple yeah. times. But he was yeah. that was yeah. that was Ed Davener. Yeah. But I think it's something about that that Coach Hall liked. You know, also because yeah. that guy's willing to fight. He wants to play. And the only way that you could really get Ed attention was if you dis- you threatened and suspend him for a game where he wasn't going to play, and then his attitude got yeah. back right real well, quick. <laughs> you, listen, Oscar, there was always – here was a big event. The big event in the summer was the first pickup games. Now, you'll remember this. When we would go over to Alumni Gym, that gym would be packed with, pl- with people watching. Mm-hmm. And, boy, if you – if you were smart enough to come over to Alumni Gym in the summer, mm-hmm. and you got some of the pros coming out, mm-hmm. and you got some of the incoming freshmen, and you got the current crop. Yep. Let me tell you something. That first week when we all balled up, and I couldn't wait to see this freshman, of course, Macy and Roby and all mm-hmm. those guys would be coming back, Goose. And Goose, that. yep. Okay, you got that. You are not going to find a better playground than Alumni Gym. That's that right. One of, okay, Eddie Davender came in out of the gate. He was blazing. Yeah. Yeah. You tell a lot about how because we, we didn't mm-hmm. even after a while you just lost sight that there's people watching. Yeah. We'd argue calls. Yeah. There'd be we'd have there'd be some breakouts with each other. Yeah. But Eddie Davenant and guys yeah. came in differently. Sometimes mm-hmm. freshmen just come in and get involved and not try to do something. No. But Eddie came in. Yeah. You always knew the guys that were thinking big because they were going to try to come in and take over. That's right. Us, any NBA players, mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff like that, right? And he, Eddie he, D came he in. Didn't and he didn't care. Was slick. 
And boy, yeah. he hated to lose. Yeah. He'd argue. Yeah. He'd cheat you. Yeah, 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 him and James. He was one of those, <laughs> and I would cheat you. I would cheat you as well. Hey, you want to win. You want to call. That's right. Okay. Yeah, hey, that's Walker okay. Walker wasn't much of a talker, but if he, if, yeah. if, he game, yeah. if Walker yeah. got upset, yeah. we all knew he was going to get his way. Yeah. At the end of the day, if Andy Walker wants to turn yeah. the whole tide, but he's yeah. always pretty cool. Yeah. He let guys try to cheat each other. Yeah. Until, like if, if Didn't if, get out of hand. Didn't get out of hand. And he was trying, and we were going to the post. Him and Davender would get a high low going or something. And if Kenny Walker, if you got underneath him, if he was dunking, that was it. He he, he flipped a switch. That was his trigger. Yeah. And now he's going to start calling Chippy Call. <laughs> but Ed Davender, Eddie did. And if you if you would pick Eddie, Eddie was going to call. Yeah, he, every time. He, you couldn't get near him. That was a foul. No, we argued yeah. more. For we argued for five or ten minutes if that was a foul or not. Eddie, man. Let's go. Eddie left us very suddenly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything you would have liked to have asked him or talked about if had you had the opportunity knowing he wasn't going to be with us any longer than what he was? Well, you know, we we talking about you know Eddie D, the tremendous you know player that he was, and obviously I think that he's uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, him, Melvin Turpin, and Charles Hurd, uh, a lot of these guys I think are underrated and underappreciated. Uh, again, go look at the uh, record books. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy who had a better career than Eddie uh, Davender. I guess for me on a personal level, because I, I did continue to spend time with Ed after he left UK, and the first, I guess, I guess six, eight years, you know, out of school, he was doing some great things throughout the community and doing, you know, very well. Uh, but by the very end, it was uh, very well documented, some of the personal struggles and the things that he had and things that was uh, publicized and written in the paper. And I think uh, obviously that, that hurt him. Um, he was embarrassed uh, about all of those things and ultimately ended up doing some time because of that. But uh, he did his time. And when he came back uh, the few years before he passed away, it seemed like he was uh, making progress and turning his life around and getting things together. So I know his heart and his mind was in the right place. Uh, It's just very difficult, I think, for a lot of people with a lot of things that were said at the end and things that he'd done to some people. It's hard to maybe, you know, forgive him. But I think that obviously he was in a bad place, made a lot of bad decisions. But Eddie D, like Roger is, and I have been saying the whole time, he's, he's a great guy. And I think uh, if I'm disappointed at anything for all of the things that he accomplished, you know, on and off the court, I just wish his name and reputation would be appreciated a little bit more. And I know it's hard because it's still maybe early for a lot of people, but hopefully over time, hopefully his name and reputation will be where it needs to be. Well said. Uh, yeah. How do you follow that, right? I mean, um, Kenny's had a great effect on a lot of people, and, and uh, one thing Kenny was to Eddie was he was always there for him. And um, I think if I had anything to say to Eddie, I'd probably apologize to him. You know, me and him were close, and he went through the troubles at the end, and uh, it wasn't uh, anything other than then I should have made more of a priority to to be more involved with Eddie. But then again, on the other side, uh, I think Eddie uh, 
when you get done playing basketball at Kentucky, you go through a transition of who you are and, and what you want to do in life. Everybody does that. Kenny went to the NBA, and at some point now he has to realize, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And it's very difficult to come off of the biggest stage in college basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> you have all these brothers, and you are tight with each other, and you go out in the world, you never find that oneness or that closeness I regrettably, I don't even find it in church, but Eddie Davender needed needed more of uh, a friendship from Roger Hart. So that, that'd be the first thing. But on the second side is I hold Eddie responsible for everything he did after mm-hmm. that. When we see a teammate uh, that, that, that uh, it ended that way for him, uh, really, we I realized you know he 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 had an addiction problem mm-hmm. and that led him to do these things you know to 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 try to turn a buck and and because I know how he felt about our fans he enjoyed yep. our fans but once you get that poison into your system like Kenny alluded to you will you will start to make bad decisions and regrettably when you're Ed Davender and it happens in the state of Kentucky mm-hmm. everybody gets to read about right. it. But we knew Eddie. We knew a different Eddie. Mm-hmm. And of course, the people that get close to people who have those addiction problems, it just play, and, and you know his story plays out every day uh, in the state of Kentucky. But we just don't really read about it. It's not you know they're not former Kentucky basketball players. But it's still heartbreaking. And uh, but Eddie, uh, I mean I can't I I, I just I, I loved Eddie Davender. I just had the greatest relationship and respect for Eddie Davender. I mean they just. He was, uh, and I've got so many wonderful memories of him. And I, the, my biggest thing when we've gone to these funerals is to be able to share those memories. I remember talking to his his mother and his family was seated right there in the front row and mm-hmm. of course, he did a wonderful job talking about mm-hmm. him and so did Rex. But, you know, I told him, I, I said, do you all remember me? And they said, oh, yeah, we remember you. <laughs> I said, well, I said, I love playing with your son and, I said, what a great guy he was, and I said, but I'm going to be honest with you. When I got the ball and threw it up to Ken, uh, to uh, to Eddie D on a break, we all knew we were not going <laughs> to uh, Eddie definitely yeah. was not going to No. Oh, and you no. know what? I loved watching him because he could, he could work and yeah. work in there. Yeah. You know but you knew if he was going to kick it back, yeah. you knew he didn't hey, have hey, any hey, little seat because hey, he was going to take it, it. But that was the Brooklyn in him. It, it, it's funny that you say that. <laughs> I, I got Ed Davender in, 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 in trouble. Uh, in the Kansas game, um, <laughs> I had my career high going to Oscar. I had 36 points and maybe about 19 rebounds. Yeah. So we had like about a four-point lead with about 20 seconds to go in the game. Yeah. And Eddie D's got a run out, and he's all by himself. And like Roger said, Ed never throws the ball back. He'll no. go in and lay it up. And I was yelling for him, Ed. Throw it back. Throw it back to me. I'm going to bring down the house, you know, one last time. And when he threw it back to me, I don't know how this ball just slipped out of my hand. I mean, nobody's there but me and Ed. It slips out of my hand and goes over the goal and goes out of bounds. And I turned to look at Coach Hall, and I thought he was going to lose it. He flipped this program up in the uh, up, up in the air, and he, <laughs> called, and he called Eddie over. He said, gosh. Darn it, next time you got an open layup, you lay it up. We don't want no showboating and all of that. And then he jumped all over Ed, and Ed was like, well, he told me to throw it back. And I went up to Ed. I was like, man, I'm sorry, man. And he was mad at me, man, Coach Coach Hall. 
that's a great story. Yeah. It's a great story about him and Eddie. But yeah, under Coach Hall, the point guards were guard. We were blamed for everything. Yeah. We, we, we were blamed for the Kennedy assassination at one time. The point guards were, we took, if, if, if Kenny Walker, something happened there, Roger, uh, Eddie, blah, blah, blah. So, so we, took a lot, we, we buried a lot of those uh, crosses. Uh, Coach Hall. A little bit before your, your guys' time here, Kentucky won a title in 78. One of the the main cogs in that wheel was Mike Phillips, and he tragically died in 2015, uh, fell down a flight of stairs, only 59 years old. But even the previous stars had an impact on you guys. You knew about the Kentucky tradition. You knew about the titles. What do y'all remember most about him? Well, actually, I got to know Mike uh, pretty well. Uh, I traveled in the state, and uh, I got a lot of uh, business that I do in Madisonville, Kentucky. So whenever I was in town, uh, I know uh, the guy who owns a pharmacy that he worked at. So uh, it wasn't nothing for me to see him once or twice a year. You know, so uh, like you said, he was a little bit older. Obviously, he played with Kyle and Jack on that great 78 team, and what a lot of people didn't know is that uh, after he graduated, he played a few years professionally in Spain. And I played, for, I played professionally in Spain. And one of the people that I talked to before I went to Spain was Mike Phillips because of his experience of playing uh, international basketball. And uh, he had a lot of good things to say about that league and appreciated the insight uh, that he gave me. And I'm glad I made the choice to go over and play there there for a couple of years. But it was him who gave me that advice to play. And, and after my career was over, uh, of course, when they have the reunion of the 78 team, always seen him around, uh, always had a big smile on his face, nice guy. My favorite pitcher, uh, Roger, you will remember this, was when you used to come in the Wildcat Lodge, and it was him and Rick Roby sitting a double pick on some little guy <laughs> that, you know, it was like a big wall and that you it, couldn't. Mississippi State, yeah. like it might have been five and a half. Absolutely. And you had these two big bruisers, you know, setting pick. You know, of course, you know, Rick went on to have a great career at uh, in, the, in the NBA with the Boston Celtics, but him and Mike Phillips, at UK, they were the original Twin Towers. I mean, they kind of made that thing really cool. We saw a lot of teams uh, do that, uh, you know, from that point on. Even uh, we had our own Twin Towers with uh, Turpin and Bowie. But that idea started with that 78 team. I can't, I can't add a whole lot to what Kenny just said. I, it was funny that he brought that up about that picture because anybody that stayed at Wildcat Lodge, <laughs> I mean, that was an iconic yeah. picture not only for the 78 championship team but that became like one of the iconic images that went <clears throat> out across the united states is that you know the twitter would have had a lot of fun with that picture wouldn't they i'm sorry twitter would have had a lot of fun. yes oh god yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and uh but he had a very successful life i mean to, to play basketball at the university of kentucky going to dental school i mean uh, you know obviously it sounds a little bit like Brett, in some sense, and that you know, Bear went on to law school, and those guys uh, had great careers even after basketball, which speaks to their to their their character and the way they took care of business while they were at UK. But Mike Phillips, that picture lives in the infamy of anybody that's maybe a little older in the generations. You know, you always remember that. 
Yeah, I tell you, I, and I, I, I think, well, that play that they set in that pick on, we used to call it 54, where we used to go down and it was mainly me and Sam setting a double pick for Melvin Turpin to come off that little screen and go up to the top of the key. Yeah. And Melvin Turpin, my goodness, he could yeah. come off of that and from the top of the key to shoot that and jump And he didn't shot. miss. And I he did Turpin not Turpin miss. Yeah. Could have been one of those guys that could have shot the three, picked and popped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, if it would have existed, that, that concept didn't even exist, right? Yeah. Uh, him and uh, 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 Sabonis, a young yeah. Sabonis, yeah. was, I mean, Melvin Turpin, I get, hook shot, left yeah. hand, right hand, up and under, turnaround jump shot from the baseline, jump shot from the top of the key, up and under, dunk. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he, had a, he had every shot in the book. Melvin left us very, very tragically. I, I don't know of any athlete that I think gained more from wearing the blue and white and attending UK for four years than Melvin Turner. A young man who, had it not been for his basketball athletic ability, he probably would have never attended mm. any college, let alone the University of Kentucky. Yeah. And in the end, he had such stress upon him with his family, yeah. his wife. And ended up taking his life. Yeah, it's it's a shame because uh, early on when Melvin was trying to uh, find his way, he had guys like Melvin Cunningham, P.G. Peoples, who's head of the Urban League, Leonard Hamilton, who uh, recruited him out of um, high school, Brown Station, and obviously Coach Hall. I mean, he Coach Hall would never say this because I know he loves us all. Uh but Melvin Turpin, boy, he had a special place in his heart for Melvin. And uh, he appreciated where Melvin came from. And like you said, Oscar, the hard work to put in it, that he made, he made himself a ball player. And he had some success with it. It's a shame that, you know, I think a lot of things that happened to Melvin over his life, I mean, he always battled the weight, you know, problem and issue. We all know the stories about McDonald's. McDonald's, his girlfriend stick, sneaking in McDonald's or, you know, he's putting the uh, managers in front of his door to uh, uh, to guard him, you know, so the pizza guy won't deliver pizza or they had to uh, follow him around and write down what he was eating. Uh, we laughed at stuff like that, but obviously Coach Hall was doing that to help him out, uh, you know, with his discipline. If Melvin Turpin could have uh, kept this weight and stuff under control uh, and didn't get injured, uh, he could have played 15 years in the NBA. Uh, he only played five years in the NBA because of those problems, and obviously there was a lot of people that took advantage of him on a personal level in the, late in life. And like you st said, Oscar, it led to a lot of stress and pressure in his life. I just wish, because I would see him around every now and then, every time I saw Melvin. <laughs> he would always uh, laugh and he said, Kenny, how do you stay so slim? He said, man, I can look at a cheeseburger and gain 25 pounds. And, you know, and he would just laugh and have fun with it. And that's kind of the way that he lived his life. And I think that's what made him who he, were, who he was. He never felt pressure. Jovi Hall could come in and be yelling and cursing and mad at halftime for us not playing well. And there was nothing for Melvin to get up and say, oh, coach, you put his arm around it. It'd be okay, coach. I mean, we'll be all right. Probably most of the malingual around don't have no idea that he went to a prep school when most people didn't go to a prep school for one year at Fork Union. Mm -hmm. 
and then came back. Mm-hmm. And I remember interviewing his parents for a story mm-hmm. in their home down back of Rupp Arena. Mm-hmm. And uh, his mother was a – she got her height from him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, he got her height. Oh, okay. He got his height from her. Oh, okay. She was about 6'5". Okay. And I remember him being coming in for Christmas break the year before he came here, which would have been 79, 80, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was in his military uniform. And he was so proud to wear a military uniform <laughs> because to him it meant yeah. something special. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's hard to believe because, uh, I mean, obviously Roger and I wasn't here, but uh, there are people, of course, Leroy, you know, played with Melvin in high school. And people like Kenny, he couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. Said he was just kind of this big old – clumsy guy that you know uh uh people felt like if they can work with him that you know he can develop good skills because he didn't start a plan until later on i think in his high school career but that one year at prep school of course it was supposed to be sam Bowie and ralph sampson you know coming in and if that had been the case who knows maybe we would have never never heard heard of of melvin turpin but thank goodness that uh sampson went to virginia at the last minute and, boy, they had a diamond in the rough. And uh, I think Sam's injury forced Melvin's uh, development a little bit sooner because we didn't know what he had. I mean, I mean, look, I shot a good percentage, and I was pretty good around the basket. But Roger would tell you that will be days in practice where Melvin Turpin will go a whole practice and not miss a shot. He graduated in 83 <laughs> with a high field goal percentage in the history of the school mm-hmm. and stayed that way for years mm-hmm. yes i mean offense is a machine i mean throwing a live to melvin uh was next was he was right right below kenny but you throw a live to melvin he's gonna go yeah. get it yeah and really I'm, I'm, as i sit here and listen to kenny and you guys talk uh i think uh kenny brought out a, a big wonderful point was Melvin was blessed to have Mr. Cunningham, Melvin Cunningham, Mr. Peoples, mm-hmm. uh, Coach Leonard Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, who was very involved in the local uh, African-American community, mm-hmm. and those people that were involved in Mel- Melvin's life at that age, uh, he was blessed to have them mm-hmm. on his life. And uh, when they – were not in his yeah, life, right. things didn't go well. Yeah. Melvin was the type that needed yeah. people that were there for his best good, and he had that. Mm-hmm. Regrettably, uh, he didn't have quite the NBA career he could have had if he would have had those people around him. But, you know, that's a – that's. but say all that to say this, he was – he worked hard. He was a great teammate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he, was, he was always fun to be around. <laughs> Uh, I remember my little brother used to come down who was six years younger than me. Uh, let's see. So he would have been about 11, 10 or 11 when he would come over to the lodge. He would always go over and watch cartoons with Melvin. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If, if, if uh, we're leaving for a noon game yeah. on the road yeah. somewhere, yeah. Uh, Melvin Turpin is going with what, cartoons. That, 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 all mm-hmm. the way out the door, mm-hmm. as as we're telling him, the bus is waiting. Yeah, yeah, All right. And 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 my brother, little brother, used to go over there and watch him. And he was so nice to my little brother. You know, 
he had that high. Well, he was so sweet. Yeah. And he and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, he 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 uh, he had just performances uh, at Tennessee. I mean, 40, oh, 42. Only missed two shots or something. But but he was uh, – and, and to be honest with you, uh, uh, if we all would have re- reacted to Coach Hall when he got on us – Like Melvin. Melvin. Yeah. We, we, probably have, we probably would have won a national championship every year. Yep. Now, one of you guys well, got to tell me the story. Cause it had to have happened when you all were here. But – the time that Joe B got really, really upset with him in a timeout during the game, and he just reamed him like everything, and right before, well, and he starts grinning, and yeah. he starts <laughs> grinning, and Melvin takes his hand and taps him on the butt, says, "Coach, don't worry, I'll take care of everything." <laughs> I think, I think, I think. Uh, I think Melvin spent his whole career trying to figure out why Coach Hall was so uptight. I think he yeah. kept looking at him like, "What? What? Yeah. How would he want me to do? What? Yeah. You want me? All right, okay. You know yeah. what I mean? That that was basically the essence of it. I got to do that. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah. All right. Now, can you just relax? Yeah. I mean, that was the no pressure the demeanor he would give off, and I'm like. How does he do that? Yeah. If I acted like that, I don't know. I mean, yeah. seven footer. I mean, yeah. But, but I couldn't. I just could not. I'd be like, man, I, you know. But but he was he, 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 he was great. And 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 later, you know, I I used to catch him at a game. The girls back. He loved to go watch our women's basketball program. And I had three daughters, and we'd go every Sunday to watch the Lady Cats, or excuse me, the the. Uh, what is it? What, what are they referred to now, Oscar? But the, 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 the our girls' team, the yeah. and he team. was at all uh, of them. Yeah. Okay, he was at all of them. Well, back then it was the Lady Cats, or not the Lady Cats now. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he loved watching women's basketball, and we loved talking. And he was just mm-hmm. very simple. He never really felt, you know, he never felt the pressure to impress people. He Mm-mm. lived inside of his world, and and uh, he was nice and kind to everybody. Uh, he was funny, and uh, he was just uh, just amazing. I remember what a sweet guy, man. But the, you know, I mean, it was great. The last, the last picture that I saw with the, I guess the last, I guess the one and only reunion that we had for the 1984 team. Yeah. You remember he was there, yeah. and they had a big picture of him in the paper hugging Coach Hall, yeah. and of course he was really big, but. Yeah. Uh, God, he you you could never tell, man. He's just the happiest guy in the world. Just yeah. happy to see everybody. Demeanor the exact same yeah. as it was, yeah. you know, when we played together. Yeah. Me, walk, me walking through campus, you know, with the, I see him with them books. Yeah, just, he didn't even really. He just his mind was somewhere else, <laughs> yeah. and he'd see one of the guys. Like, yeah. Oh, hey, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> you, you both have been such an integral part of the community here in Lexington since you both came here. Uh, you all were coming in right at the end of the first decade of African-Americans mm-hmm. playing basketball mm-hmm. at Kentucky under Joe B. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about the Melvin Cunninghams of the world, the PG peoples of the world, and mm-hmm. how much it meant to the African-American community in Lexington to see African-Americans playing mm-hmm. for the University of Kentucky, well, which – you didn't see in the Deep South right. for so many years. Well, I didn't know the significance of it until, you know, after I got here. You know, and then after you start to dig into the history a little bit more, you take a little bit of pride and, 
you know, the Tom Paines, uh, the Reggie Warfords, you know, the Larry Johnsons, the guys that really, you know, broke through, you know, for us. And you see how well they did. You saw how well that they uh, fit into those settings. And then along comes Jack and James Lee and Dwayne Casey, Vaughn Williams. You know, you can kind of follow, you know, the line. And I, you know, got to know all of these guys. And they were important for a guy like myself because they they made it real visual that you can actually see African-Americans play for the University of Kentucky up until that time. You couldn't uh, see that. And then to have people in the community like a PG uh, Peoples, Melvin Cunningham, and those type of people. And, of course, Coach Ham, uh, I, I think we all appreciate, you know, Coach Ham, not only for his great recruiting to get us here, but the commitment that he made to make sure that we were connected to people in the African communities as well. Because, obviously, we're not only just a role model for the people who follow UK basketball, we are a role model for those people as well. And they've never seen an African-American uh, in a UK uniform before. So it's important that you can conduct yourself in the right way, in the right image. And obviously, uh, Coach Hall, who we played for, was uh, well before his time in terms of what Rupp had did before then. He was smart enough to know, hey, we got to get – uh, the African-American people involved in the program. And I thought the pressure that he faced following Adolph Rupp and being, you know, the guy to ultimately uh, do that fully, I think he should be commended for that. I, I can't end without talking about one thing that happened to one of these people after he was gone. And that was Melvin Turpin's funeral. Thank you. We were all there. Mm -hmm. And in walks Leonard Hamilton. And he sees a young kill and immediately goes <laughs> over and speaks to him, which is Melvin's son. Yep. And he was in junior college mm -hmm. getting ready to hang it up. He wasn't a great player. Had his size. All right. Do you know what happened after that? Yeah, he offered him scholarship. He went play for Florida State. And I thought that was a great story. I mean, of course, that doesn't surprise me. That's the kind of guy that Leonard Hamilton was. But uh, when I found out that it was Melvin's son, I mean, of course, you could look at him. He's splitting splitting image, you know, of Melvin. Uh, just a long, tall, slim version of Melvin Turpin. But Leonard also knew probably – Hey, yeah, it's a nice gesture, gesture to get him here, but he probably had flashbacks and was thinking, well, if we got Melvin to develop here in a couple of years, he probably thought that he found another diamond in the rough. He could use another 60% yeah, shooter. Uh, absolutely. So, he, Leonard, it's not crazy. I thought he did a great job to give the kid an opportunity. Now, obviously, uh, it didn't quite go the way I'm, I'm quite sure um, Leonard wanted it to go and maybe the kid wanted to go, but he gave him an opportunity and I and thought that was And he got a degree, so I think that you, you that's enough to be said about that. I think winding this up, and guys, you all don't know how much I've enjoyed this and appreciate you sharing these memories of these guys that we no longer have with us, but tell me just a little bit about what it meant to you guys as human beings to live together, a white and a black, and live inside a Wildcat Lodge for four years, not nine months, not six months. Yeah. And that, what it led you to in your post-athletic life. 
Well, that's that's amazing because I, I first time I met Roger, uh, we were at the McDonald's All American game, and he wasn't playing. He was, you know, there to check out practice because he was playing in the Kentucky. I, we can only I didn't play in two games. That game, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I just wanted to show up and look good. I was going to Kentucky. Well, no, he was playing in the Kentucky Indiana All Star game. You can only yeah. play in two. Yeah. But I remember him coming up to me and going. Hey, Walker, man, I know you don't know who I am. He said, but, man, I can pat the rock and I can pass it and I'm going to get you the ball. That's the first thing that he said. And I'm looking at it like, like who the hell is this little white guy saying he can pat the rock and get me the ball? So uh, that's the first, my first memory of him. And my, my second memory of it, he won't, he won't remember the first time we, we, we played in the pickup game, we played together and we were on the fast break. Roger threw me the most perfect lob pass I think I ever had. I mean, I caught it right at the rim, uh-huh. and I just basically dunked it in there. So we were running down the court, and I'm telling him, look, dude, you got you to gotta throw it higher. And he, was, he, he had this very inquisitive look on his face. He was like, throw it higher? And, and then after the game was over, he came up to me. And he said, hey, Walker, I'll throw it higher if you want to. He said, but – I play, played with a bunch of 6'2 white guys in Indiana, <laughs> and I had to throw a perfect pass every time. <laughs> but but uh, I think growing up in the South, obviously, and just having an inter, uh, interaction, I couldn't have picked a better guy to uh, come in with for my career because how cool I think Roger is. We hit it off from right off the bat, regardless of the background and where we come from, and I don't think we ever – looked at race as a part of it. We, he was very competitive. I was very competitive. And um, we, we, were, we were attached at the hip. I don't do what I did at Kentucky if it wasn't for this guy, especially my junior and senior year when I was being double team, triple team. This guy still found a way to get me the ball when I got guys dripped all over me, even when the play was for somebody else. And, you know, he, he could get me in the ball. So I wouldn't have had my career uh, that I had on the court uh, with Roger. That's first of all. And then off the court, I don't care how long it's been since I've talked to Roger. Unfortunately, uh, we've been talking more now that all of these things have come up in the last couple of years. But regardless of ever how long it is that I've talk, talk, been talking to Roger, we pick up right where we left off. I mean, it's – conversation is always great uh i appreciate his uh friendship everything that he's done for me and on and off the court that's what you do when you live together for four years like we did uh from beginning to the end and those are relationships from a college perspective that you probably would never see ever again so i'm glad that i had the right guy because we like each other we get along together we love each other i couldn't have picked a better guy to be a roommate with for my freshman year because it started a lifelong friendship. Well, I mean, <laughs> come on, man, to be. Listen, okay. Did he drop a mic on you? Yeah. Well, he always does. <laughs> I right? know. Hey, you know what? And I'm glad that I, I get, I've always had a front row seat to watch Kenny Walker's greatness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> From the very beginning. All right. The first time I saw Kenny signed late with Kentucky. Later. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you something. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you what an effect your your you know that uh, what the cat's paws had. You know that company you sold and you like. What what island did you buy with that money? How much? Oscar, come. 
I don't, you got you probably got you've got offshore accounts. And, but anyway, <laughs> let me get back to the story, okay? All right, Kentucky basketball has been good to you, Oscar Combs. All right, but let me tell you something. You remember the cover you had of Kenny Walker going down the lane? All high school. Dunk, yeah. Do you remember that? Cover? Yeah. Roberta George. Roberta George. Yeah. Sweat flying uh, uh, off of him. He was so the camera. That was per, that's a perfect picture. And I saw that because I I signed in December, and I was like, "Oh, man, sweet mother <laughs> Jesus, my gosh, Sam Bowie, what was it like to be the point guard at the University of Kentucky, and you've got Kenny Walker on a break down the roommate? Yeah, what?" A kid that loved Sam basketball Bowie, from Indiana, Sam Bowie, all of them. But 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 come on, I got to I, I I was I got to be the guy that got to ride shotgun with with Kenny Skywalker. That was a very beautiful world. Man. Me and Kenny didn't room together, but just one year. But we were yeah. tight. Yeah, we always found time yeah. to always go hang out. Yeah, above and beyond. I mean, just because you room with someone doesn't mean that's who you hung out with. So me and especially that senior you. year. But God, uh, that was but great. Getting back to your initial. When I never really saw because I was just always grew, I grew up in in the uh, uh, African American culture. I was always looking for a playground, and I lived close to Gary at Michigan City and all that. So I, the race thing for me was uh, I never really saw it because really I grew up with African American people as my heroes. Black blacks were my heroes. That's who I wanted to be like. And, uh, you know, because I was I wanted to be a basketball player. So I always felt uh, that the African-American community was always good to me and they always uh, treated me with respect. And so uh, but Kenny and I, you know, I mean, we would talk about race. He was from Georgia. I remember he told me and I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to give this politician, but he's mm-hmm. told me about a, a racist that ran for office mm-hmm. and her name J.B. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. used to laugh at, yeah. at his commercial. I said, Kenny, you mean there's really a problem? I said, I don't believe that a guy put out a commercial like that that said he hates, you know, and, and he would he would use the N-word. And yeah. I, Walker was like, hard, and I'm telling you, man, yeah. down there. So we really, we talked through it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's, there's you know, you, you know, the race, uh, you know, the race thing probably came out more if you dated. Like, you know, you right. Might, you know, we had some white guys that date black girls. We had black guys that date white girls. We had some, you know, what, whatever, right? I mean, you, you learned a lot about mm-hmm. being around somebody for four years. You pretty much know who that person is in four years, right? So, uh, but Kenny Walker uh, was, a, he was, a, he, he was, a, uh, he, he crossed cultures. I mean, he was, he understood both cultures. Walker understands both cultures yeah. just because he's good yeah. people. Yeah, you, you took me I mean? to my first he, Def Leppard he, and Billy Squire concert. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we, we indulged. He, he turned me on to Al Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Al, Green. Al Green. He turned me on yeah. to Al Green. That's right. Keep me up on, you know, you got to know this, you got to know that, yeah. and everything. So <laughs> we, and, you know, that was during the, the era of, you know, uh, uh, Michael Jackson, yeah, and, Prince, and, Madonna, and, and, yeah, but they, uh, you saw a lot of. Remember Ebony and Ivory, yeah, Paul McCartney. That's right. That's there was right. a lot of artists that were reaching out to try to bring harmony yeah. in in the culture. The culture was a lot more uh, at peace with each other. Yeah, to me, that's yeah. right. Especially it, after it, after going through the sixties and seventies, yeah, the eighties were, yeah, ride the 80s yeah, were. There yeah. Was harmony there. Yeah, now, I'm not saying there wasn't racism. Yeah. Okay, but I'm what I am saying. Yeah. Is there was cultural harmony. Yeah, it was a whole lot better. Together, baby. Yeah. Eighties were rolling. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> they I mean, lost. It was great. It was it was it was a great era to play.
you know, and uh, the 80s were exciting. But, but, but race, I mean, it, it was, it, it'll always be a part of the game. Race will always be a part, internal part of the game. But make no mistake about it, I want to point this out, okay, because I think the state of Kentucky gets the worst uh, stereotype uh, about racism. How is it, let's just be honest, okay, I'm not going to be politically correct, that uh, the, we all know that the, uh, the, the game itself, the way it's played, has been since uh, uh, African Americans were allowed to play, uh, since segregation, since they were allowed to play. They have owned the game of basketball. They have entertained the American public. They have shown us greatness. They have, they have dominated it. They are the personality. They are everything about basketball. How is it that Kentucky basketball has done nothing but get more and more popular the more and more black African-American black athletes that we get? And we support it like no other mm -hmm. fan base in the country. Yet, we have this reputation yeah, of about being. being stereotyped. You talk to the African-American people, guys that played here, they will tell you, On I'm sure there have been some minor incidents, but on the whole... These guys can go to Pike. They yeah. They can go to Purdue. That's right. They ain't got to worry about uh, what race they're. I'm not yeah. saying in general that other black African Americans might not too. Yeah. But I'm yep. just telling you that they. And I'm not yep. saying that there's not. I don't want to go on record here and say there's no racism in the state of Kentucky. Mm. But we don't deserve the one the, the stereotype yeah. that 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 uh, uh, African Americans of uh, the state of Kentucky is not a good place for you to be. Okay. So mm -hmm. I want to say that on behalf of our fans that we have supported. African-American coaches and African-American basketball players here, and we don't really care what color our coach is and what color our, our, our athletes are. We love Kentucky basketball, and we love our Kentucky basketball players. Our many thanks to Roger Harden and Kenny Walker for joining Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. You just finished listening to episode 57, part one of Oscar's conversation with Roger and Kenny, and part two will be released very soon. If you've not had a chance, I encourage you to listen to some previous episodes of Conversations with Kenny and Roger. Episode seven and eight is where you can listen to The Skywalker. Episode 27 and 28 is where you can listen to Roger Harden. For all episodes of Conversations, you can listen to them at oscarcombs.com or subscribe in iTunes or the Google Play Store for absolutely free. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe. And to keep up with Oscar online, Twitter's the best place to find him. Follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.